I do want to give you an update on our 90 and 90 campaign. If you're a guest or you're a visitor, uh, this is our 90th anniversary as a church. And one of the ways that we wanted to celebrate this was to raise $180,000. And we would take 90 of that to help address the needs within the church, and we would take 90 of it to help address, address needs in the community. And uh, it has been such an amazing thing for us to, to venture into this endeavor together. There have been a lot of ways that we've tried to celebrate uh, throughout the course of this year, but this has been a really fun, fun milestone for us to pursue. Uh, it's, it's had kind of an interesting way that we've had to go about it. And so I want to give you an update as to where we are and kind of clarify some of the questions in terms of where we stand today and how we're going to finish out. So first thing that I want to celebrate uh, is that as of this weekend, we have, uh, through your generosity, this church has received $135,608.11. Amen? It's awesome. It's incredible. Now, one of the things that we had to do was to uh, balance the budget at the end of September, okay? And that was one of the things that we kind of had to shift our focus on. We had to move the campaign up a little bit. Um, and so through the selling of the property that we had on Shirley Avenue that, that helped eliminate a lot of the debt that we had for our roof payment, but then also helped um, address the shortfall that we were facing towards the end of the year, we took, of that 135000 we took $42,725.95 to balance the budget. So praise God for that. All right, amen to that. And so, yes, so we ended our fiscal year in a really great position there, and that was, uh, again, such a wonderful response from the church. So that meant we were able to kind of address the needs within the church. We initially thought we would be able to kind of uh, do some improvements on the first floor, but then we redirected our focus towards the debt payment, the roof, and the shortfall. So we were able to satisfy that, which means now what has been left over from that 135 after taking the 42 to address the shortfall is we now have $92,882.60 that is available to give towards the community. Amen? So we were able to accomplish what we wanted to give to the community. Now, this is where I want to clarify because it's, it's kind of got some nuances to it, all right? Um, the, the excess of the 90 is uh, finances decided that we're going to keep that for uh, additional payments towards the debt payment and, and roof and things like that. So the 90 for the community is staying the 90 for the community. But the question you may have is, well, we didn't hit 180. So it's, it's really awesome that we were able to address a lot of these needs within the church, the shortfall and still meet our needs to the community um, without fully hitting the 180. But we still want to make that a goal, right? And so we, are, we have extended the, uh, the campaign until the end of October. So you have until Thursday uh, to make a contribution. If you're at home and you're sitting on $45,000 and you're just thinking, what should I do with this? Look no further, okay? Like we, we would gladly receive that, okay? Um, we want to continue to make that a goal. But, but the, the whole point in this is the heart behind it. Right? It's not just a numerical goal. And so one of the other things that we want to put in front of you is to say uh, this, this goal towards 100% participation. We haven't had a chance to crunch those numbers yet, uh, but I, I can only anticipate that they've steadily improved. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity to give, you felt hesitant to give, we want to encourage you to continue to pray towards making a contribution, whatever it is. Please don't do it because I, I'm like forcing you to do it if it's in obedience with the Spirit. Right? If you don't feel like the Lord's leading you, then by no means don't do it. But but I think it'd be really awesome for us to, to really strive towards that 100% participation to celebrate this. So should we hit the 180? Part of what I want you to know is that, that that money that would come in over and above the 90 that we already have for the community will continue to be used towards this debt payment because this debt payment's gonna be around for a while. And so it helps us get a head start. So it's still a very much a worthy thing for us 
to contribute towards. And so that's where we stand. Hopefully that helps clarify things. And if you have other questions, then by all means, come up and let me know, and I'll be happy to answer those uh, as we continue over these next few days. Now, that being said, uh, a lot of this has been focused on through the course of our series in October. We started this new series in October talking about promises. That's kind of been a theme for the year for their 90th anniversary, is what does it look like to be a church that stands on the promises of God? And as we got to October, we said, you know, these promises are not just for us and for our church, they're for all people. And so we've kind of started this two-phase discussion. How do we take these promises to our community, which is what we've talked about in October, and in November, we're going to talk about how do we take our promises to the world. And so over the last few weeks, we had these three different organizations that we had identified that we were going to uh, gift, uh, disperse this $90,000 uh, gift among as an opportunity to help enrich and encourage their work in the community. And, and yet what we said at the beginning of the series was that we don't want to just make some sort of financial contribution. That what we see in scripture is that when you engage the community, it should be personal, it should be holistic, and it should be intimate. And so having the opportunity to bring some of these organizations in and hear from them gives us that opportunity to build more meaningful relationships, to have a more holistic understanding of how we react and how do we truly engage in this work. And so with that being said, we get to hear from our third and final organization today, uh, Traffic 911 and Mr. George Lynch. So George, why don't you come up here and join me and why don't you put your hands together as he's coming on up. How are you, brother? Good, it's good to have you with us. Why don't you grab that stool over there? Let me grab my stand here, and we are grateful to have you here with us to help us understand a little bit more about the work of Traffic 911. And so, just as a start, introduce yourself. You've got some personal connections here, obviously. Several people here know you, but introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your family and how you ended up at Traffic 911 and some of the latest developments there. Well, it's a joy to be here. Uh, I was on this platform a little bit over 35 years ago, marrying Laurel Thedford, Jack and Shirley Thedford's daughter. So yeah. I've had a connection to UBC through um, the Thedford family and, and celebrating and worshiping and know many good friends here. Yeah. Uh, the way the Lord actually drew me into the work that I, I'm now a part of at Traffic 911 is I had a career working in the travel industry here in Dallas-Fort Worth. And as an industry, the, the issue of human trafficking of people that are being forced, defrauded, coerced into labor, and yes, sex trafficking, became an issue that the, the travel industry said, we hmm. could do something about this. We have frontline employees that if we trained and equipped, they could be a part of seeing something and saying something. And so that was part of my job as a, a, a travel employee mm -hmm. to be a part of that work but as a man of faith, mm -hmm. and in the, the words that I, I knew and seen in Scripture, that God's heart was for the oppressed. If I can remember this psalm, Psalm 12, 5. Mm -hmm. Because of the devastation of the oppressed and the groaning of the needy, now I will rise, says the Lord, and I will bring them to the place of safety for which they desire. And that just spoke to my heart and, and throughout scripture. And in fact, in the lineage of Christ, we see stories of, of trafficked individuals, Rahab, mm -hmm. others that have known the, the force, fraud, coercion of their life experience or their situation, or in fact, a trafficker that forces them into undue 
work that is degrading and, and yeah. heartbreaking. Wow. And so that uh, led me to say, I want to be some way, <laughs> unequipped actually, but how do I be a, a part of something? Yeah. And uh, as God would do, he would equip the, the called, not the, the, not other, the other way, way around. Called the equipped, yeah. <laughs> and, and I started volunteering with the organization, and then in 2014, uh, I began serving as the CEO to help the organization step further and become a, a more critical collaborator really with the the elements of our government that mm -hmm. need to be a part of this because this is criminal activity. And our organization is focused on freeing youth from sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. So our, our focus is only with children. We have a emphasis on the Dallas-Fort Worth mm -hmm. area. And we work as a crisis response team when children are recovered by law enforcement mm -hmm. from a trafficking situation. Our advocates, Christ followers, mm -hmm show up within an hour to be at the side of that youngster at their greatest time of need mm -hmm. and to begin a relationship that will go for years, to walk with them through this long journey of recovery and help them become who God's made them to be. Mm -hmm. It is in relationship that you and I came to know Jesus Christ, and that is how young people that have gone through much begin to see, ah, there's a God who has great worth for me. relationships. And as our team works alongside them, we're seeing that happen. So youth, uh, Traffic 911 focuses on youth. Is that 18 and younger? 18 and younger. Okay. Anyone under that age involved in any kind of commercial sexual yeah. exploitation is considered traffic okay. by definition. Okay. But force fraud and coercion are right. definitely a part of this. It is a, a uh, issue that somebody gets lured into. Yeah and not realizing actually what it is, and right. all at once, they're in a place they don't want to be. And we all know, well, and as we've talked, and part of what we want to accomplish today is, is creating that awareness, right, that uh, this, this force and this coercion that can so easily take place. Help us understand a little bit more about the industry. What's it look like, especially locally? A lot of times we think these things happen somewhere else, but they happen in our neighborhood. So tell us a little bit more about how we can just create our own awareness of this industry. Well, the, the issue, when I first heard of it, I thought this happened overseas, mm -hmm. not in our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. But as I learned more, actually, I, I became aware there is a, it's an economic crime. Mm -hmm. There is a supply side where youngsters are drawn in to become the product that gets mm -hmm. sold. But there is this demand side. It exists because people are willing to pay mm -hmm. for an experience. Mm -hmm. And in their twisted minds, they have somehow rationalized, this is not harming somebody else for me to enjoy this experience, but indeed, mm -hmm. the compounding reality of multiple, multiple, multiple mm -hmm. um, rapes mm -hmm. is devastating, not only to bodies, but onto souls and yeah. to spirits. Yeah. And so the economics of it, unfortunately, a, a child in our marketplace here in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, often lives under a quota of $800 to $1,000 per day to bring home and hand to a trafficker who could be a man but could be a woman. Mm -hmm. A third of traffickers are women. And so you do the math. I'm bringing home $1,000 a day yeah. over the course of a year that child has great economic mm -hmm. value, mm -hmm. which is far less than the value God would put on them. Right. And so for them to experience that, it, 
it drives because there is a demand cycle mm -hmm. that is willing to buy these experiences yeah. and ultimately a child at the end. How, how widespread do you think it is in, in Tarrant County? Is, I don't know if you have percentages well, or numbers or estimates, but what do you see? So the numbers are, are hard. Sure. This, is, this is a nefarious activity. It's underground. Right. So we can't really count everything. But I'll tell you, last year, our organization responded to 204 children across Dallas-Fort Worth. 52 of those children were right here in Tarrant County. That's the rest were in Dallas, Tarrant, or Collin and Denton. That's a number that was more than we expected. We had planned for 120. Mm -hmm. And we've worked in this space for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't really determine how many would, would actually be recovered. Mm -hmm. This year, we're going to pass 204. Wow. And each life is a unique treasure. Mm -hmm. These are children that when you meet them, you will, be, you will smile. Mm -hmm. They are kids who have favorite Disney movies just like our kids do, mm -hmm. that like to you know, eat at Wild Wings and the same kind of restaurants our kids mm -hmm. and I like to eat at. Mm -hmm. you know, these are God's creation with yeah. dreams, hopes, purpose, and it's a joy to be a part of equipping them in a toolbox that's going to carry them on yeah. this journey down their life. What can, what can we as just citizens be looking for? Like what, what children are often vulnerable? Or, um, I mean, a lot of times maybe we don't always see it take place because, like you said, it's underground. But are there signs or just ways that we can be mindful of? Here are children that are at risk, and, and here are maybe areas that we could speak up. Trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerabilities. Okay. It is, a, if you looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. you know, if I have need for, for shell of Maslow and food, mm -hmm. that could be exploited. But as I grow up that scale of Maslow's needs, my, my need for self-worth, to be loved, boy, that is the vulnerability that we see most of the children we serve has been the point where somebody has learned on social media of heartache and heartbreak in a kid's mm -hmm. life because they've, they've gone out on social media and shared that burden. Yeah. And somebody is out there looking to come along and be their friend. Mm -hmm. Step into relationship online. Let's mm -hmm. arrange a get together. Let's go have mm -hmm. you know, a meal together. And then this hoped for sense of you thinking I'm wonderful, that I'm beautiful, that I'm handsome because young men are trafficked as well, mm -hmm. that that is a, a thing that is used then to turn. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, well, I've given you some things. Now, here's what you're going to go do for me. Yeah. And I'm caught in this trauma bond where mm -hmm. I've thought, well, this person truly loves me. I'm going to, um, they love me. Yeah. Even though they're doing horrible things and they're doing it on the, my back, yeah. I am trapped. somehow trapped yeah. into this, this connection. I remember one time you came to uh, visit with the staff, and, and I think you either showed a video or a slide of, of, of pictures, and it was like, identify who you think is most likely to be the trafficker. And, and so a lot of times when we think about who's maybe responsible for putting or exploiting these vulnerable children, create a profile for us, because I remember the takeaway from that, but share it with the church. Well, I think we all have a vision of what a, a trafficker and the other common term is a pimp. Uh huh. And, you know, I think of a a long flowing fur coat right. and a wide brim hat and a walking right. stick. Right. They don't look like that. Right. <laughs> they can look like marine green berets 
yeah. back from duty overseas and, and trafficking a youngster that he grabbed right outside of Ridgemont Mall. Mm. Or it can be um, a high school student, a cheerleader who was the captain of the squad and decided mm. she would traffic her freshman colleagues as a way for her own advantages. So there, it, just as a trafficked person does not necessarily present mm -hmm. easily, there may be signs, right. they may be malnourished. Teachers, if you see a child who can, maybe can't stay awake during class, that may be a sign that they've been out working yeah. for somebody all night. Or tattoos often mm -hmm. is a part of this where there's branding by a trafficker, puts their name on a person, mm. puts a barcode on them to make them remind them that they're worth nothing more than mm -hmm. like a piece of meat that's scanned yeah. at Walmart. Mm. I remember from that meeting just all those different images that there is no profile, like that there are so many different people that exploit these vulnerabilities in children and how difficult that can be. So you, Traffic 911 does a lot of different things. You mentioned the partnership with law enforcement, obviously because it is criminal activity. And, and obviously part of what we have to be mindful of is the demand that's creating the drive for this industry. So what are areas of prevention? Tell us some specific things that Traffic 911 does to help prevent these things from ever occurring. Well, one, one of our, our big prongs of our, our work is a prevention ministry mm -hmm. that is going and speaking with young people at, that are at high risk. Yeah. That seems to be our sweet spot. There's lots of other great organizations doing other programming, mm -hmm. but high-risk youth is a, a point of focus for us. That means going into juvenile detention centers, mm -hmm. uh, youth shelters, drug rehabs. This is an opportunity for volunteers to come in and work alongside mm -hmm. our staff going right. into ACH or the Tarrant County Juvenile Detention Center every month. We've got teams going in there talking about this issue, helping kids recognize what they've maybe seen or experienced mm -hmm. and go, ah, this is, now I've got a language and understand the harm that really could come to me. Right. Um, and then we also, we're, we're active in, in speaking out of, around the issue of pornography. Yeah. This is the temptation right. that draws somebody into a place where they start to think, perhaps that is an experience that I would like, mm -hmm. and it's fueling the demand to buy. Right. Right. It's all interconnected and interrelated, isn't it? It is. It is. So prevention is a, is a component, which is uh, awareness prevention. Uh, but then, as you said, you're, you had 204, I think you said, responses last year. So a huge part of this is recovery, uh, helping, helping uh, recover a child that is in this exploitive situation. Tell us a little bit about that process and how Traffic 911 comes along. You mentioned the relationships. Give us a so we have entered into multidisciplinary teams with mm -hmm. law enforcement. So it's, it's local police department, Fort Worth Police Department, the Tarrant County Sheriff, the mm -hmm. FBI, Homeland Security Investigations. Because this can scale across jurisdictions, right. it's valuable to have those relationships. They're often the one that, that will recover a child and will place a call to the Alliance for Children, which is our mm -hmm. child advocacy center here in Tarrant County, who then has the job of touching base getting our team mobilized. Mm -hmm. They're gathering more information, calling our team as they're en route to wherever this child is. Mm -hmm. So they're ready to kind of be there to be present with that child. Yeah. So investigators have their role of getting information because they want to go get the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Our team can be there building relationship with a youngster, planning out what's the next step. Yeah. Hospital visit, 
staying at, mm -hmm. is there a safe place we can get them to tonight? Right. And then figure out the long-term plan, what's going to be best for them. Yeah, and that recovery. interaction is, is where that first relationship is often yeah. forged, right? So it's really important. And we, you brought a video or sent a video yeah. that helps kind of give a picture of what that interaction might look like. Tell us a little bit about who's in this video yeah. and, the, and the nature of what we're about to see. Yeah, this is a, a video of Stephanie, one of our advocates. And um, it gives you a sense of just the, the moment mm -hmm. of when you're in your, your most stark gravest need, what you need mm -hmm. in a moment. So let's yeah. roll this. Her favorite song starts out, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Remind me of who I am because I need to know. She had just been raped by a stranger and handed a $20 bill. Later on at the hospital that night in the exam room, I asked her, can, can I go sit on the other side of the wall? Where, where do you want me? No. Sit by me, stay with me, don't leave me. As the tension filled the room, I asked her, can I play music for you? And she said, yes. And I played her favorite song. And in that moment, I got to tell her that she is worth so much more than this, that her life has value, that we believe in her. When no one else was there, we got to show up and reminder of who she is. Hmm. What a powerful reality to know that so many children are being told and buying into the idea that they're worth $20, um, if not even less, and being treated that way. Um, and such a remarkable depiction of the work that you all are doing. When, when somebody experiences that level of trauma, uh, obviously the, the road of of restoration is a long one. You yeah. gave me the word over the phone, empowerment. Yeah. Talk to us about what that looks like after a child is recovered, and then ultimately, how do you empower them into that greater sense of self-worth? Well, we're fortunate to be across the street from the Karen Purvis Institute mm -hmm. of Child Development at TCU that created a program called Trust-Based Relational Intervention and came from really the families that were working with international adoptions and the issues mm -hmm. that they faced, how to help a child attach, but it has now become really the, the language that's being used wow. across our state. Mm -hmm. Our team has been trained in this methodology. Child Protective Services is being trained in it. Juvenile Detention Centers. It's across the board that we're all recognizing that a child that has been traumatized may not present in the most mm -hmm. lovely of ways. Mm -hmm. And what looks like obstinate, disrespectful behavior is a response to trauma and heartache. It's how they've survived. Right. And so being able to just recognize that you can, you know, sometimes they're going to push like this, mm -hmm. and sometimes they're going to be like this, and it's going to go like this, and our mm -hmm. team has become gifted in discerning and knowing when to, right. to engage. It is, unfortunately, this behavior of being lured back into the arms of that trafficker through that trauma bond yeah. on average seven to nine times. Wow. So it is not the moment you're brought out into the light mm -hmm. that, that you're, you're ultimately done. Mm -hmm. You're still a teenager. Anybody had a 13, 14-year-old in your house? There's yeah. lots of development still to go. Right. And so if we can build this, this long trajectory of relationship, a safe place, a non-shaming place, 
where they're seen as worthy and loved, mm -hmm. then they feel this is a place I can reconnect. Even when I've stumbled and gone the wrong step off the path that I agreed to, mm -hmm. then I become empowered to make the next best choice, yeah. ultimately to uh, go on to do awesome stuff. Right. Got a kid that just got, uh, just got word she got on the dean's list from her first semester in college. Awesome, awesome. So when you think about just the seriousness of this work, and as you said, it's criminal activity, so it's not like we can just sign up and show up on a Saturday and volunteer, right? So what are some practical ways for a church family to, to actively engage and, and partner with Traffic 911? Give us some examples. So there are opportunities to volunteer, mm -hmm. to be a part of our, our prevention outreach. Uh, right now, those are, that's a, a role designated for women because mm -hmm. we're going into the, the women's side of, of juvenile detention. But I'm hopeful that we'll be working with young men yeah. more, and there'll be opportunities there. Uh, the women's ministry here did a, a food drive or a gift mm -hmm. card drive, mm -hmm. thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm that actually was given the opportunity for people like Stephanie, who mm -hmm. built relationship at a crisis, then go share a meal out in the community with this youngster time and time again, celebrate milestones, be a part of that. That's been a, a sweet, sweet blessing. Mm -hmm. the, the stack is gone, but we right. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated that. Um, prayer. Yeah. You wanna talk about a warfare? Mm -hmm. Satan is not happy mm -hmm. at the work that our team does and that police and CPS and others that are in the fight every day pray for these people that are on the front lines. Mm -hmm. There is a, a sense of, of stress and, and sometimes hope that gets bruised in the midst of it, yeah. but that we would remain confident of his, yeah. his sovereignty and step forward. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, speaking of prayer, that's kind of how I want us to transition to, there's, there's so much more that could be said on this subject, and uh, George is going to be able to stick around a little bit after, after the fact, and obviously you can get additional information on their website and, and continue to grow and understand what they do. Uh, but obviously with prayer being such a central focus, what are some specific things that we can pray for, for the organization, but also for you personally? I know some recent changes for you personally in your role here, so you can elaborate on that as well as how we can pray for the organization. Well, um, I'll, I'll address the personal issue. I um, have sensed the Lord's call for, for me to move to something else. I don't know what it is, but I am retiring effective the end of this year. Mm -hmm. But a great team is, is ready and able to step up, and the organization is, is growing and, and booming, and this is just a great kind of season here. I think for, for the, the issue, is, with that comes some transition. Right. I know there will be just, you know, we'll need mm -hmm. some prayer that things would, balls would get caught that need right. to be caught because lives are a, a part of that. Sure. Physical health mm -hmm. is a significant prayer request for our team right now. Okay. We have a rash of migraine mm -hmm. uh, issues that about four members are fighting with that mm -hmm. have just kind of come up. And, and so just prayer that God would heal mm -hmm. because that is a, a debilitating issue for many to have to sure. be on call and be ready to respond to a kid when you feel like um, yeah. your head's about to Absolutely. Blow. So health and transition and then obviously just for the work in, in itself. Yeah. But um, it's, it's such a, a challenging thing to get our minds wrapped around because it is so multifaceted. There's so many different layers, whether it's uh, the, the demand, the prevention, uh, the recovery, the empowerment, uh, but I think I speak on behalf of our entire 
congregation as well as so many other organizations and, and believers out there that we're grateful for you and the work of this organization, which y'all have done and are continuing to do. So know that we are in your corner and we're here to help you guys. So um, put your hands together for George for a second. We're gonna spend some time praying. I'll take that from you. So what we've done over the last couple of weeks is we've prayed over the folks that have been with us. So George, why don't you come down here, standing here, and if some of you gathered in the front would mind coming forward and just laying hands uh, with my brother here, and we're going to pray over him, and this will be emblematic and representative of us praying, not just for his own personal transition, but also for the work of Traffic 911. So let's just gather around him, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And the rest of the congregation, if you just bow your heads and join with us. Father in heaven, um, there are sometimes, God, where we have to face the the harsh realities of just how broken this world is. And um, yet, God, as we have um, committed to being reminded of this gospel today that we know is a gospel of freedom, is a gospel that that releases and sets prisoners free, God, we want to be your voice. We want to be your church that goes into dark places with boldness, with courage, with confidence, and declares the promises that are sure and secure in Jesus Christ. Um, We are grateful for the way that you use organizations like Traffic 911 and the ways that you use individuals like George and and so many of the team uh, that serves in that capacity, law enforcement, legislators, so many different areas where this is being fought. And we pray for all the hands that have committed themselves to this work. God, we pray that our hands would be committed to this work. Um, that we would commit in a season of prayer to lift those up and to personally engage wherever you may lead us, God. We pray specifically for this transition that, that is forthcoming um, for Traffic 911. We pray for your provision for George and just his, his future, the, the step into something that is uncertain, is, is often uh, discomforting at times, but at the same time exhilarating. And so I pray that you would guide his steps, that you would guide his family, that you would guide uh, traffic 911 through the transition so that other uh, girls and individuals that are hurting and, and currently in a difficult situation have the chance to know once again just how they truly are loved and, and what their worth really is. And so we pray for that transition. We pray for healing for that team. God, that if there's anything medically that continues to create difficulty and struggles for them to commit themselves to this work, that you would put your hand and, and your healing touch upon them. Um, but all, obviously, Father, more than anything, we pray for just all that needs to take place for this freedom to be experienced in this, this part of the world. God, we pray against the demand. Uh, God, we pray for the hearts of men and women that have grown corrupted by either greed or lust or pleasure to the point that they feel that they can exploit uh, others. God, that you would uh, destroy that mindset, God, that you would uh, set them free from such bondage, God, and, and awaken them to what you've called us to, which is love and compassion, God, and that you would put people in their lives to point them to the hope that they have in Christ. We pray for those who are, are being victimized by such behavior, God, that you would rescue them, that you would heal them, that you would restore them, God, and that they would hear just how, how worthy they are in your eyes and how precious they are in your eyes, God. And so help your church be your hands, your feet, and your words as we seek to do your work. We love you, Father, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You all put your hands together one more time for George and his time here. We appreciate the opportunity to, to visit with him, and I, I just want to offer a thank you, Cynthia. 
I just want to offer a couple of concluding thoughts really for this month, um, not just in response to what we've heard from Traffic 911, but obviously we had a chance to hear from Seminary Hills Park Elementary. We had a chance to hear from Gladney Center for Adoption last week and now Traffic 911. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to remind us of one uh, final verse here, and then we'll close in a time of intentional prayer. You know, in Acts chapter 4, as I've mentioned to you previously, this is the first kind of indication of the mountain of persecution that begins to unfold in this book, right? That as you continue to read the book of Acts, we see this resistance that is leveled against the church, that's leveled against believers, and it truly serves as almost this obstacle, this mountain that's in their way. And what makes the book of Acts so remarkable is the way that God moves them through it, moves them beyond it, right? And in the face of such resistance and opposition, God's faithfulness continues to prove to be true and steadfast. And so when we first are introduced to this in chapter 4, we see how the church responds and how they pray. And, and I love the conclusion of this prayer that we can read in verse 29, chapter 4. Let's read this again together, just a couple of thoughts. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Last week, we talked about the power of outstretched hands and how that can help heal. We talked about that in terms of reaching out to the orphan, to, to the child in need, and obviously that extends to a lot of different areas where we can reach out and seek to provide healing to others and how we receive that same healing through the outstretched hands of our Savior. But what I also want to call our attention to today is this, this part of this prayer that says, consider their threats, right? This, this idea that, that the church was now becoming aware of this, this potential harm that could be brought against them, these threats that had now been spoken to Peter and John and that they had reported back and that we're going to continue to see unfold in the next few chapters. And, and when they think about this potential harm, this mountain of threats, they say, consider these things and help us respond not in fear, not in trepidation, not in, in, in apathy, but with great boldness. And what an amazing prayer to pray. And we see that boldness play out throughout the course of this book. And, and, and that's really what I want us to grab a hold of. If we think about how we as a church are going to continue to advocate and take these promises to the community and, and help schools or orphans or those who are in oppressive situations and environments, it's going to take great boldness. But there's something incredibly healing and redemptive about that pursuit. In fact, the word boldness uh, to me is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It, it's the Greek parousia. And, and there's a lot of nuances to this word that I want to uh, bring out this morning as just a few concluding thoughts. In fact, the, this word really kind of finds its origin and its roots in this idea of free speech. Uh, that was such a huge advantage to being uh, in this time era, this, this, this Greco-Roman thought was the freedom of speech. If you had the freedom to speak in a public forum and, and have that opportunity, that, that spoke to just a luxury and a privilege that you had as a citizen. And so it creates boldness. It creates confidence. And so a lot of this boldness is through the power of speech. And, and that's part of what I want us to grab a hold of, right? There, there are three different ways I want us to respond with the freedom of speech, so to speak, that we can find with this call towards boldness. The first is that we need to speak with God. Right? That's part of what we heard uh, George say, that's part of what we've already sung about, is that this is going to be an issue of prayer. 
Right? That's where the war is truly fought. And so I would encourage you to pray consistently and regularly for everything that we've discussed, that, that these promises can be taken to all people, especially in our community. And one of the ways that I want to encourage you towards that, obviously you should be praying daily and regularly and consistently, but one of the things we've done historically as a church, it's been a while since we've talked about it, is we've encouraged us as a church family to pick at least one day a month for more intentional prayer and fasting. And, and the idea is that if we all have different days that collectively as a church body, every day of the year is covered by our church praying and fasting for each other and for the needs in this community and this world. And so I want to I ask you to recommit to that. Maybe you've been doing it, and that's, that's awesome. Maybe you've kind of forgotten, and I would encourage you to, to recommit, or maybe you didn't even know we, we've talked about this before, and you can start to commit to that. But set aside a day for regular prayer and fasting uh, once a month. And, and if you want to be encouraged in that pursuit, uh, then you could, you could let us know which day that you've chosen. And what we'll do is on that day, we'll send you an encouraging verse or a couple of things to focus on, and we would be happy to kind of encourage you in that journey. You don't have to do this, but if you wanted to, you could go to our, our website's homepage, and one of the images that will scroll across the top, will, will, you could click on, and it will take you to a form where you could say, here's the day that I'm committing to, and we can help encourage you. So, so think through that if that's something that you want to do. But we have to pray boldly, right? We have to speak with God. We have to, to increase, uh, increase this boldness in our prayers to see God go before us. No, we don't need to just say, this is God. We need to speak for the marginalized and the oppressed, right? We, it, this, is a, this is a question of advocacy. This is an opportunity to figure out where and what form and what capacity with grace and with love, but with boldness, do I help speak out and advocate for those who have lost their voice? How, how do I speak up for a school that is in need? How do I speak up for the refugee that is trying to acclimate to a new culture? How do I speak for the orphan, for, for the child that is sitting in foster care? How do I speak for the oppressed. We need to speak on behalf of others. We need to be bold in that declaration while we do it with grace and with love. And we don't just need to speak for others, we need to speak to, right? That in the opportunities that God gives us to, to come alongside someone that's in need, when he gives us these doors to engage in our community, we come and we remind them, yes, these promises are for you. The, this hope of restoration, this mountain that's in front of you, it can actually be moved, your God can get you to walk over it and beyond it, and you can see his grace, you can see his faithfulness. And that's why this word is often translated not just as boldness, but confidence. I love that. That's kind of the journey, isn't it? We're, we're setting out onto this journey to try to help uh, reignite confidence in a heart and in a soul that might be questioning its own worth because of the mountain that stands before it. And that's what we bring that courage. That's what we want to do. Right, to be that voice, to speak up, and to bring that confidence in others so that they can see the beauty of this gospel. And, and so I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we, as we prepare to conclude in a, in a song of response. Here's, here's what I want you to keep in mind, is that maybe this isn't just something that's needed in our community. Maybe it's needed in your life. Right? Maybe you're here today because of a mountain that feels so ever-present before you. And you're sitting there discouraged, thinking, how in the world am I going to get to the other side of it? And you've had an opportunity to be reminded of so many other people that are in a similar situation. And what I want to encourage you with today is that the hope of the gospel is a reminder that God's promises, no matter what you face, they stand. 
that the confidence that we carry as believers, the confidence that we try to share with others is that we're held in his hands and that time and time again, throughout centuries upon centuries, we have seen our God can move mountains. And so that's what we're gonna pray for. We're gonna pray for it for ourselves and we're gonna pray for it for our community. And so what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads and I want you to prepare and ready yourself for this time of prayer. And when I finish praying, I'm gonna ask that today you stay in your seats and continue to pray. We're gonna sing a song that helps remind us of this power that we have in this gospel that gives us this confidence. And I'm just gonna ask that you stay in that posture of prayer. I want you to stay seated. If you wanna listen to these words, if you wanna read the words as they're sung over you, but I want you to continue to pray for these mountains to be moved. I want you to pray for these promises to be heard. I want you to be reminded of that in your own life and I want you to think through, maybe it's a story at the school that you've grabbed a hold of or a story that we've heard related to the orphan that's out there. Or maybe it's a story you've heard this morning. Whatever these mountains are that God lays on your heart, I want you to commit in bold prayer today for God to move and for us to be reminded of his promises. And so let's pray together and then continue in worship. Father in heaven, we ask that you would move. There are times where we look upon all the needs around us and we can be overwhelmed, but we're reminded, God, that you are one who can, can take us through any situation and circumstance. And so we ask that you would do that today. Father, if there's anyone in our midst, if there's anyone in this room that is facing a mountain that needs to be overcome, God, I pray that you would move it for them. If it's healing, if it's reconciliation, if it's forgiveness, if it's, if it's the bondage to some form of brokenness, God, I pray that you would see it shattered. God, I pray for the needs of our community, the mountains that we see in our community that so readily need to be moved, that you would send us out as your army to go and, and fight on your behalf. God, let us see these promises, let us behold these promises, and let us carry these promises so that others can be reminded once again of the confidence that they have to be held in your hands. And once again, God, for all of us to see your mighty work. We love you, Father. And now we commit this time of prayer 